On this edition of Larry the Golf Guy, we have the great good fortune to have a conversation with Doug Ferguson, who is the national AP golf writer and has had that position for over 25 years. And uh, I don't know that there are many people in golf journalism that know more about uh, the PGA Tour than Doug does. Um, And um, he's a gifted writer. Um, He's um, won a number of awards, including the 2019 PGA Lifetime Achievement Award in Journalism. And he's a real keen observer um, and uh, a wonderful guy to chat with. So um, we talk about um, Tiger, Phil, um, and Liv, and all sorts of um, things related to the PGA Tour. And um, he has a lot of very interesting observations. I think you'll hear his... um, Thoughts in particular on Phil and um, that I thought were were super insightful, um, but um, real fun conversation with Doug. Uh, so up next on this edition of Larry the Golf Die, Doug Ferguson. Well, welcome to another edition of Larry the Golf Guy, and I'm so pleased today to welcome to the show one of the most recognized names in golf journalism, <clears throat> Doug Ferguson, who has been the AP National Golf Writer for, gosh, 25 plus years. Uh, Doug, thank you so much for making the time to uh, speak with us today. 25 years. You're making me sound old. We've just started. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, we'll get 35 years with the AP, 25 with uh, in this position. But let's maybe just to give people a little context and go back to the beginning. Um, I know that you've lived in Jacksonville for a long time, but you actually grew up uh, in La Jolla out here uh, in Southern California. Quick clarification, Larry. Yeah, Uh, okay. Born in La Jolla, uh, moved immediately to the slums of Pacific Beach. Let's clear that up. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. We moved moved up and down the coast. Um, My dad worked for the JCPenney company, so we were in, in, um, he grew up in La Jolla. Uh, La Jolla Country Club, the whole nine yards. We went to Palm Springs for six years back when they had, I think, five golf courses. Okay. Uh, finally got back years later. They, there's a tiny, tiny trace of humidity because of all the golf courses that have been built since then. Um, City of Orange, Bay Area for a couple of years. Thousand Oaks was my last resting stop, if you can call it that, before we moved on to adulthood. But up and down the coast. California. Okay, so all over California. Uh, but... Um... Maybe um, talk a little bit about how you got introduced to the game. And, you know, part of what stuck San Diego stuck in my mind is I saw somewhere that your dad, you mentioned, you know, he was La Jolla Country Club and uh, high school teammates with Phil Rogers, who is one of the giant names, of course, um, in the, you know, kind of one of Jack Nicholas's um, peers. And, you know, later, of course, as you know, helped Jack with his short game way back, uh, you know, many years later. Anyway. Um, I, I assume your dad was involved in introducing the game, but maybe talk about how you first got introduced to golf. Completely, and it was and it was through him. And my, my grandfather was the uh, he was one of the charter members at La Jolla. And of course, my dad and his brother grew up at the club. Um, Paul Runyon was the pro, I think, when he was growing up. Right. We bought our drugs from Craig Sadler's father. He was our pharmacist. Let me clarify that. <laughs> yeah. So just early early memories. Um, you know, we we spent a, a lot of time. 
scouring the the uh, the, the trees at La Jolla when we'd go see the grandparents to, to find all sorts of golf balls and what have you. Uh, my dad always had Thursday off, and that was his golf day. And so we just I just picked it up uh, from him and uh, and just fell in love with it. Actually, one of the one of the more bizarre things I think Larry was was um, when he got transferred to New York for a couple of years. We lived in this house in Jersey, and he didn't play for for two years. He was taking the train to work every day. Right. We had this thing called winter, which I'd never heard of until <laughs> that point. Um, but I used to take this four iron he had this old hogan apex clubs and i took this four iron and plastic ball and our yard was so big that i created my own golf course after school wow and would, would just play to the little squirrel hole under the oak tree and to the birdhouse and the other tree and and learn to hook it a little plastic ball around the house um and i might add i learned to play it as it lies and so there was a number of lies on the driveway and my the one time my dad played um, some business outing or what have you. He wanted to know what happened to the sole of his four iron because it was all chewed up from from hitting off the driveway. But we played it. We played it as it lies, and that's important. There you go. That's an important, important thing to learn. So um, you're introduced to golf. You're playing. You 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 know live various parts of California. I saw the Thousand Oaks. I think I saw high school for Thousand Oaks. And so, but you end up going to Abilene Christian for college and you um how did that come about in, in a spanish major uh which yeah, is a little this, few standard deviations away from journalism which you this, ultimately got to yeah. but uh tell me how that happened doesn't make a lot of sense i i realized that but uh we'd, we'd met some people i was still in high school um when, in the two years in, in new jersey at our, at our church and they'd gone to abilene christian we knew nothing about it so my brother ended up going my two sisters ended up going and I decided to go out well and 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 being young, really young. I mean, I was uh, 17 when I graduated high school and had no oh, idea wow. what to do. Wow. I, was, uh, I was very good at Spanish and figured, you know what, why don't you do something you're good at? Um, and just pursued that because it was easy. I finished, you know, I finished my BA in, in three years Wow! because uh, of all the hours that I, I tested out of. The problem is, while I was good at Spanish at the time, I did not like school and and realized that what people do with a language degree is teach. Well, that would put me back in school for the rest of my life, which was never going to happen. Um, and so somebody said, why don't you get a you know, double major in, in PR? First class you take in public relations is basic news writing. That kind of got me hooked on the, on the kind of the newspaper side of things. And, and then off we went. And, and finally, I uh, was told instead of getting a double major, which is kind of pointless, you should get a master's degree wasn't going to do it at Abilene because of the because of the tuition fees. My parents then were living in Norman, Oklahoma, so I went to OU. Got um, immediately got back into the academics, hated it again, <clears throat> walked into the school newspaper, um, volunteered for a job, and uh, and off we went. Came the sports editor of the school paper, got an internship with the AP, and off we go. So you soon it sounds like it was kind of almost love at first sight when you started doing the journalism stuff. You kind of thought this is this is me. This is something I'm going to like. It sounds like you attracted to it right away. Is that fair? Yeah. I enjoyed the I enjoyed the writing. It was you know um, it was simple storytelling, um, and and that's that's what I enjoyed. Um, getting into the the golf side was almost as fortuitous as, as the journalism it's, itself. But. Yeah. I, I, so let, let's talk about that. So you join, you know, as you say, you're joined the AP as a news reporter. So just chronologically, I guess we're in 1988. 
start out in Oklahoma City, go to Tulsa. Um, and then, uh, as far as I can tell, sort of the move, at least to sports before we get to golf, is you going to Jacksonville, Florida, still with the AP in 96. So was that sort of, you said, hey, I really want to get into sports, or was it just an opportunity? How did that sort of come about? Bankruptcy, Larry. That's what I would go with. That's what I like, that's what I like to say. And it's actually true. I was, I was doing news in, in Tulsa. And the 1994 PGA was meant to be played at Oak Tree in Oklahoma City. Landmark, right. I think it was Landmark, was the Yeah, owner. Landmark was, right. They went into some bankruptcy. Uh, the PGA of America was a lot more fluid back then. And they, they did a, a, you know, kind of a redirect and said, let's leave Oak Tree because they've got some issues going on. Let's take it to Seven Hills. Well, that's where I was based. And our sports editor in Oklahoma City brought me along. And so I, that was my first major was the 94 PGA. Did okay. Struck up some good relationships. And uh, that was kind of the, the the foot in the door. So the, the really bizarre thing, this was 94. Uh, we get to the end of the year. I am. I can always remember this, Larry. I was sitting in the office doing a Phillips Petroleum quarterly earnings report. Wow. Bureau wow. from Oklahoma City calls. <clears throat> he says, how would you like to go to Jamaica to cover a golf tournament? I was looking at the calendar to see if it was April 1st, because that made no sense to me whatsoever. But <clears throat> it turns out our, our golf writer we had started to have some health issues and couldn't make it. And it was this old tournament. It doesn't exist anymore. Uh, it's called the Johnny Walker World Championship. Was that the one at trial? In, yes. Uh, yeah. yeah I remember that. Uh, it'd be comparable to what Tiger's got going in the Bahamas. Right. The hero. Kind of right. End of the year holiday event. And um, I, I went ahead and, and went. The guy that I was with in, at Southern Hills, um, he was our deputy sports editor at the time, Ron Syrak. And, and he said, let's let's send the guy from Tulsa. So now I'm now I'm down there and had another week of experience. Um the next year, the tour championship was in was in Tulsa, uh, at Southern Hills again. I did that one, and uh, and then when the sports job came open in Jacksonville, uh, they went ahead and sent me there. And while I was there, I had the you do things very regionally at the AP, so I had the Jaguars and the Florida Gators uh, helped out at Daytona, just just things in the in the yeah, region that part of Florida. Right, and then I took care of all the PGA Tour stuff on the Florida swing, you know, right? Because the Bay right, Hill, they're players. right. Right, and, uh, and then he started bringing me to the Masters and and to the U.S. Open and the PGA. And two years later, the the golf writer moved on to a magazine. I stepped in. Right, Bankrupt so bankruptcy. <laughs> <laughs> that was a key fork in the road. Bankruptcy. Got it. So, um, so you'd had a little golf experience, but now you're the national AP golf writer. So, um, I. Were you kind of intimidated taking that position at all? Or maybe you sort of had enough experience with the golf the last couple of years? Or what was that like to sort of be the national golfer? Because that's you're the man. Um, and you're going now to cover every tournament for the AP. And um, what was that like? You know, I would say terrified is the right word, just because when <laughs> when Ron Syrak left for Golf, uh, golf Digest and Golf World, it was right after the Women's Open in 98, that one that say repack one. Yeah. And he he had moved on and he had been writing this column every Tuesday. And the, the boss offered me the job and uh, she said, can you do the column on Tuesday? And I said, no, I was I was just I'm, sorry, I'm not ready for this. Give me another week. Um, and then and then we were off and running. But I, I think, I you know, I'd been to enough majors at that point, uh, you know, 
without stopping to add them up, I've probably been to, to 10 or 11 or 12 big events, uh, Ryder Cup included in 95. Um, the Florida events, I'd gotten to know uh, an, enough players, been around enough players that um, uh, that it was fairly seamless, although I still felt like a fish out of water. You s- still spent about a, a year or two trying to, trying to find your way, find your voice a little bit. I remember once we went to, let's see, 98 was my first major as the, as the lead writer and uh, had two longtime columnists with us. And, and Tom Lehman was in this restaurant we were at on Wednesday night. We're at Roe Burkdale. And he said, send them over a bottle of wine. This is how you get to know people. So I said, okay. So we, you know, find a list and get a bottle of wine, send it over to Tom. And he begrudgingly stopped on the way out the door and said, hey, thanks, guys. And as I'll always, always remember Melissa, his wife, saying, come on, Tom, we got to go. And uh, I thought, okay, that didn't go so well. But <laughs> the more time, I learned I learned so much from from Ron and watching yeah. him operate. And the, the number one lesson was to get yourself out of the press center, to spend as much time as you can on the golf course. It takes time. Um, they, I, I don't think players care that you go to their interviews or that you go stand with them outside by the, by the mix zone. They care when they see you standing behind the third green and, and walk in the back nine in bad weather during practice rounds. That takes time. But um, you could tell after about a year, year and a half, they start to remember you. They start to know your name. They start to open up. Um, very, very proud of that. But it takes it takes a lot of work. Yeah, as you should be. I remember I watched the video when you um, and when you won your uh, Lifetime Achievement Award for the PGA, and a lot of people, you know, and they obviously had a lot of players commenting, Nicholas, Rory, you know, and then. Everyone sort of said, you know, uh, you're not an air conditioned rider. You're out there walking and stuff. And I totally hear you. Players, players absolutely notice that. And that's that's good for you. Just maybe to give people a little bit of a sense of what it's like to cover uh, these tournaments as the AP golf rider um, in terms of the number of stories you have to do and the different editions. How does that sort of work? I think I saw somewhere I, I don't know if this is still accurate that you write four daily stories or something like that. I mean, that's a lot. It is. We're toning it down a little bit, but you get to a majors and it, it could be uh, a little more than that, depending on what else is, is going on. But I would say standard tournament now um, they're very early in the morning. Uh, and again, that's, you know, being on the putting green, being on the range is just is being seen time and ears open and eyes open and what have you. Uh, we usually, after the morning, and again, a standard tournament, after the morning group has finished, uh, we'll put out a story. Uh, and that's just because we have, you know, newspapers who use us in, in Britain and across Europe and South Africa. They're six, seven hours behind. Uh, give them something for their deadlines. Come back at the end of the day, uh, an update with the afternoon. Uh, sometimes you tie, we put a different, like, top to the story on it with with, you know, having access to more players and more quotes and what have you back in the day we used to then have to turn it around for the afternoon papers which hardly exist anymore Uh, that's one reason we've kind of gotten away from that part um the majors can be taxing the Ryder cup was just brutal that was brutal right (laughs) yeah that's that's morning session adding to the morning session uh, uh, something else that develops from the morning the afternoon session repeat process uh, I also, for years, have kind of written these little 
capsules of each match they play. So that's eight a day and twelve on Sunday. Oh my gosh! Wow. And uh, it's it's a lot to it's a lot to keep track of. And you got to mix Hatgate in there somewhere and stuff. Yeah. And there's always always something. <clears throat> always, I think that was my my last takeaway from Italy is that U.S. They never come home at the Ryder Cup, but they always bring plenty of drama with them. At always. that point. That is totally true. So Tom Watson me, being thrown under the bus. Oh my God! With Phil's writing, I'm it's sure you were there in 2014 for that Phil conference or the oh. press conference with Phil, and I, I can't even imagine what that was like to be in the room for that. That must have been just unbelievable, awkward, <laughs> awkward, awkward with a capital A for sure. Um, let me, I, you know, one thing is I was thinking about talking to you is, um, and and you've, uh, we're about the same age, and you've been doing this long enough that you've seen these changes in terms of the impact of the internet and all the alternate media sources on what you do. I mean, I, you know, Dan Rappaport, who you probably know, is someone who actually is a member of the club I belong to. We had him on the podcast about a year ago and, you know, he had always, you know, come, thought he was going to be the traditional journalist, went to Medill, Northwestern, was at SI, Golf Digest. Now he's at Barstool. I mean, it's just... It's it's really uh, a different world than the media world you started in. I'm just sort of curious, how is the internet explosion, the social media explosion where, you know, everything is out there seemingly immediately, how does that affect you and what you do, what you do? Makes it harder, Larry. I'm trying to find the right words. It's a bit tragic at times. We've gotten away from, <clears throat> we've gotten away from covering the game and instead are covering, um, uh, Sometimes what seems like gossip, right. sometimes it seems like, uh, OMG, did you just see that squirrel? That's what I like to refer to it at times. <laughs> uh, it's, it's really funny. You know, it, this is this will be relatively pedantic, I think. But when a guy finishes a, a, a big win, a major, um, no one ever talks about the shots he hits. And that's such a big I part know. of history. Um, you know, I'm thinking of Justin Rose as an example. You know, one of the one of the great shots he hit was um, this this three iron actually i think it was a four iron into the 17th kept his two shot lead etc no one ever talks about what club he hit there or that right. shot he hit there right um, and that's just a, a microcosm of, of i think what we've gotten away from now twitter has just changed everything and, and now i think the hardest part for me is knowing what's real and and what is uh got a short shelf life what people are going to uh, laugh about, talk about, and three hours later they've forgotten about it, and and what's actually newsy and has got some traction. And I've I found, frankly, over the last couple of years, I don't mind not being first anymore, um, as long as I don't start chasing things down rabbit holes. So that's right. the one thing you try to avoid, and I think that's what social media has has brought to us a lot of uh, frilly stuff that we that we really don't need. And and look, some of it again has got. Traction. I still think one of the weirdest things I've been thinking about this for the last year or so is, is Matt Kuchar and the issue he had with his uh, not paying his caddy. Oh, that, the tip and the caddy. Yeah, right. In Mexico. Right. That's all people talk about anymore. I was with Kuchar. I just happened to watch him play at the Memorial. And this is I've lost track of how many years ago this was probably five. You hear a voice in the gallery saying, pay your caddy. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, Kuchar has been a pretty decent citizen in golf. Yeah, for 25 years. Yeah, I'm not saying he's perfect, but um, you know he's been a good player. He's 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 a decent guy, <clears throat> and he made one mistake, and it just follows him, you know, for the rest of his career because of social media. 
Right. No, that's a really, actually, that's a really great example. Um, Somebody said, I'm trying to think, Larry, this was, excuse me, I'm dealing with a bit of a chest cold, but um, we were at the Players' Championship one year, and I I forget how the, the context of it came up, but it was kind of along these lines. How much has the industry changed? And there must be, there's so much stuff out there. Uh, so much more material for you to pay attention to and to read. And I remember saying, I'm actually reading less because back when it was the New York Times and it was the Washington Post and it was Sports Illustrated, you know, the real Sports Illustrated, um, there was always great substance to it and and great stories in there. It almost feels like now that there's all these different websites and all these different takes, it's still kind of a spinoff of the same thing. Everyone's writing the same thing. Um there's just no there, there's a there's a great lack of depth of personality and who people are, where they came from. What their I, story yeah, I totally agree. I mean, you know, it's funny. I had I I know I'm sure you know him very well. I had Mike Bamberger on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, a couple months ago we were talking. Of course, he was friends with Herb Warren Wynn. Um, and I remember reading those, you know, the four times a year, you, you know, the majors, those, you know, of course, New Yorker being New Yorker, they were gigantic articles and Herb Wynn being Herb Wynn, but they were just wonderful. Talk about depth, right? And they were wonderful to read, but even stuff like Off Digest back in the day, Mord's heyday and stuff, it was, you know, you would get these really interesting deep articles and stuff. And now, to your point earlier, I mean, there seems to be such a race to be first, you know, like, I mean, I've, subscribe to golf and golf digest forever but with all the daily emails i get from them it's like by the time i get the monthly uh, you know magazine there's almost nothing in there that they haven't been you know shooting out to me in emails and depth gets sacrificed i totally agree um which is sort of unfortunate um uh but um anyways you know just thinking back you know it's been 25 years um since you've been out there on tour um, and we'll get into some of the particular personalities, but um, what is, you know, if you look back, you know, from when you started 25 years ago, what is, is anything has surprised you in terms of, you know, as you look back, gee, I would never expected this or, or, you know, how the tour has changed over that time. And we'll get into some of the particulars, but just generally, does anything strike you in terms of, if you look back, say, gee, I didn't expect this would be this way. Well, the money is a big part of it. I yeah, knew for it was sure. Always going to go up, and now it's just almost obscene. Um, it, was it really is. Even before Saudi Arabia showed up, but, right. but um, that part jumps out at me. And I think more than anything, on, a, on probably on a more positive note, um, is how 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 good the game has gotten. How much better these guys are. They've always been good. They've always been the best, or they wouldn't have been on tour. But I find myself saying, kind of tongue in cheek, I would never want to play this this game for a living because the the margins are just so thin uh and the depth is so great and the number of players that won't keep their card this year that are just as capable as anyone else of winning the US Open next week is frightening and the amount of time these guys have to put in uh to to stay on top is is alarming um it's it's really a tough business out there um and i think it's lost some of its fun I think we first saw that. Um, I first heard that, I should say, from Julie Angster on the mm. on the women's side. She used to tell stories of, you know, showing up at a tournament on Tuesday, and her and Pat Hurst would go out and play a money game, <laughs> uh, go out for a few drinks that night. It's casual. She goes, now you see these players, and they're in the gym in the morning, and they're you right. know they're on the range till twilight, and, right. and it is a twenty four seven business. 
And yeah. we were asking her if you if she wishes wishes she were 22 again. Point being, yeah, the prize money is has gone up. Uh, but if you were if you were 22 and having to start now in this 24 right. 7 mentality, is that something you'd want to do? So and I think I'm seeing it more and more uh kind of on the on the men's game as well. So it's it's really morphed, it's always been part game, part business. Um, but I think now it's tilted a lot more toward toward business. I'm not talking strictly financials. I'm talking about, you know, treating this so serious that that you have to devote this much time to it. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Um, and I, I certainly see that as well. Um, you know, as I was thinking about you're starting in 98 and you've almost exactly paralleled Tiger. Um, he started fall of 96, I think. So pretty close to, uh, to the beginning um, when you started. Um, I mean, that must have been just amazing to have a ringside seat to see that career. Um, and, you know, how do you sort of think about his effect on the game in the last 20, 25 years? Certainly money. Uh, he drove a lot of that for sure. But I mean, you know, he's uh, how do you sort of if you look back I mean, you know, he has it obviously with all the injuries and everything, you know, he's deep into the back nine of his career. But, you know, just you look back, how do you sort of see him and his impact on the tour and the game? Unforgettable. I can say that. I'm not sure I appreciate it as much. And I did have a, a, a ringside seat. I, I, For some reason, Larry, I always remember being at the U.S. Open at Oakland Hills. Tiger was still an amateur. Yeah. Um, and he was actually playing pretty well right around the lead on Thursday early. Uh, screwed up at the end, took a double, what have you. And I remember going into the locker room because I, I I needed something and just and just talked to him um, for about, and it was fine. He was, he was normal, if you will, for, you know, a good three or four minutes. And then watch that star power, you know, grow over the next, you know, 12, 15 years in, in particular. Um, we never really lost that idea that that he was, really, really good, but he was still just a guy. And uh, I think he always appreciated the fact that I didn't necessarily um, worship him, that we just, we could have conversations and and, and had a lot of them. Um, the game itself, you know, I, I remember being a little bit anti-Tiger, uh, certainly not in my writing, but just in, in the, in the, yeah. well, you're in your writing, right? Yeah, but, but in the, in the <laughs> watching, because uh, he had taken that sport by storm to the degree yeah. uh I think at the time it was attracting a lot of writers that were coming over from football, coming over from baseball. Right. Number one guy, when Tiger did not win the tournament of champions at Kapalua, you know, horrors, he didn't win that week. And somebody said, well, this is just like spring training for him. You know, he's just kind of getting the rust off. <laughs> Once we get to the real season, they'll start winning everything. And so they, they brought this mentality of 27 Yankees. Right. Right. Golf, and, and they built him up to such a degree that it was very disrespectful to the other ones that he was, he was beating. Sure. Um, and that, that kind of got me thinking, I, you know, it almost like to see this guy get knocked down a little bit, just not because of tiger, but just to show some of these newcomers that the game's a little bit more nuanced than that. Um, and then frankly, over time, you start to realize, man, maybe they're right. This guy doesn't lose. <laughs> not entirely, but he did. I, he did yeah, his winning thing. percentage was just unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, I always go. I always go back, Larry, to two, uh, it was a two thousand, kind of the end of ninety nine, and then into early two thousand. And yeah. there was a stretch, and I think it was eleven tournaments in which he either won or finished second. Ten out of those right. eleven tournaments. That's right. just absurd. And the one he, the one he whiffed on, by the way, was Riviera because he never could play. He Riviera. never could play there. I know, but but you're right. I mean, you know, I always thought. Um, 
you know, golf's version of Joe DiMaggio's hitting streak was Byron Nelson's consecutive winning streak. I mean, I just never would think anyone would come close to that. And but he did um, around that time. You're right. Well, I, I mean, yeah. I remember it's just you just mentioned that, and I'm thinking to myself, there there are at least two occasions where where you you were writing things that said could he. Which you never would have thought of anybody else. I mean, it's a eleven in a row is a lot to ask these days. But maybe he's at six right now. He's at seven right now. You're right. Um, I always have this great memory of Pebble Beach, two thousand. Yeah, he is seven behind. Uh, he had seven holes to play. Right. At right. this point, we had come back in. We were actually having having lunch across from uh, from the conference center and lodge. Uh, details are so clear, Larry. I can even tell you it was asparagus soup. But <laughs> you're watching him, and all of a sudden he he jars it on 15 for an eagle, right? For eagle, right? And there were three or four other riders sitting there. We all just kind of pushed our chairs back from the table, headed back, and said, "Here we go." And it's exactly what happened. And almost yeah. did the same thing the next week at Torrey Pines. That's the one that that Phil ended up winning. But Phil was like four up at the turn, and all of a sudden, Tigers within one. We're like, "Oh my God, when is it ever going to end?" And he I was, was. I think he was 2006. Amazing. He had another streak that was, you know, equally obscene. It was, you know, he was just. I think he, he won at least six. I feel like it was seven, um, but yeah, no one else comes it, close to that. No, yeah, and it's always hard to compare people across eras, of course. And there's always, you know, he's certainly on the Mount Rushmore of golf for sure. Obviously, with Nicholas and maybe I would argue probably Jones and Hogan if we're going to go for a foursome, but. Um, you know, it's always hard to compare across errors, but, um, you know, people, you know, who are in Jack's camp will say, oh, you know, well, he had Trevino and Palmer and, and, you know, but, you know, it, there was Phil, there was Ernie Els, there was plenty of great players, but he was DJ just, Duvall. Yeah. DJ, right, right, Duvall for a period of time, he just, but he was just so incredible. Um, I, I agree. So that, that's cool. I mentioned Phil. Um, so he was sort of, you know, if there was a number two the last 20, 25 years, that would be it. I mean, it wasn't, as we were just saying, not just Phil, there were others, but Phil was probably the number two. We never really had a lot of great battles with the two of them that I think we would have liked to. There was that one year at Doral. Um, there was that one year at Boston, I think, you know, that comes to mind. But um, there really wasn't a great head on head down the stretch in a major so much between the two of them. Beth Page in 2002 looked like it might be, but it never really got there. Um, and But anyways, you've also had a ringside seat for most of Phil's career. He started a little bit before you did, but um, and you saw him struggle at the majors, finally breaking through. He, I'm curious, kind of your your view of Phil. I mean, he's again, I'm I'm in the distant seats. You're in the front row, but you know, he always, even before we get to the last couple of years, he always seemed to be a somewhat polarizing figure. I and and there seemed to be, and I'm curious your thoughts on this: the dichotomy between how the fans viewed him, which seemed he seemed to be beloved, versus how the players viewed him. I think I once heard someone tell me like his nickname was genius Inc or something like that. Cause of the way he it's was. A lot worse, but yeah, it's but, right. well, I, we'll keep, we'll keep it PG for this, but um, <laughs> just I, anyways, curious kind of what your thoughts, cause you, he's another one that you had a close, close up view of all these years. Performance wise, Larry, uh, I always referred to Phil as a, <clears throat> as somewhat of an underachiever. Now we're going to end the career. Um, I'm not doing my math right now, but you know, six majors, six and- majors, right. 45, 48 PGA Tour wins. Right. And that's um, that's remarkable in the era he played. And so that doesn't even begin to to, to think about underachieving. 
the underachieving part was the fact that this guy will end his career having never been player of the year, having never been number one in the world. Right. Having never won a money list, little things right. like that. But when it comes to the majors, and he was always, you know, head of the class when it came to the to the best guy without a major. The thing that struck me once early on, before he won the Masters, was not so much that he uh, hadn't won a major at that point. It's that a guy of that talent hadn't really come close. Um, he'd had his moments. You know, you think back to Pinehurst when Payne Stewart made the putt right. on uh, David Toms at, in, in Atlanta at the PGA. Right. And uh, Tiger, yeah, he, he was always trailing, but he was making a game of it at Bethpage in 02. Right. But and there was another one. I, I want to say it was Valhalla at the PGA '96. And sh- by the way, Shinnecock '95. All right, so those are yeah, like Shinnecock for sure. Yeah, yeah. 90, '95 at Shinnecock. He, I think he doubled the par five sixteenth twice during the tournament. Exactly. He he. Like, the, that was the entire tournament for him. Is this messy made of sixteen? Right. But the point is, you're looking at Phil playing probably you know thirty eight to forty majors, uh, and only having a legitimate chance in about four of them. Right. To me, that's the underachieving aspect of it. And then once he broke through at the Masters, you know, he really had a chance to to win them all that year. Right. Um, another Shinnecock disappointment. Uh, Truney was right there and played too conservative and and uh, ditto for, for Whistling Straits. That was the 04 PGA. Um, you know, and then you could look at the, the wing foot collapse. That's what stands out for a lot of people. For sure. Uh, ball and Stroll PGA. The, his other Masters wins probably weren't that exciting. Um, 06 and, and 2010 were, were kind of clinics, kind of the way Tiger used to win majors, so they don't stand right. that as much. Right. Um, but yeah, polarizing figure. You know, um, we will keep it PG, but I, I finally came to my, <laughs> I think I had an epiphany, if you want to call it that. I, I always thought, yeah. and by the way, Phil and the and the uh, and the thumbs up and the the signing the autographs that wasn't that wasn't uh, that wasn't fake. You'll hear the word phony a lot, obviously, Larry. I'm sure you've heard that as well too. Uh, and that was real. I remember Bob Estes once. He he went on Twitter, I think, um, and it was at the Masters one year. It was Thursday morning. Yeah. And, and Gary and Jack and and I think Arnold at the time were were hitting the ceremonial tee shot. Right. <clears throat> Phil was standing behind the first tee. Uh, he had an afternoon tee time, and he's wearing his green jacket. And somebody pointed out that he's just doing it for show. And I remember telling Bob privately, um, I guess it's not private anymore, but that's not the point. Uh, <laughs> I remember saying, look, staged or not, trying to make it for show or not, is he still had to get up at 630 in the morning. Right. He still had to get ready. He still had to get dressed. He still had to drive down to the course. And, and you got to give him credit for that. So the, what made Phil so popular, I'm convinced, was the autographs. And it's yeah. not But that guy stood and signed. All but one day a week. He always took one day off, and and he signed everything patiently, eye contact, and and as much as you're looking for some secret sauce here, that was it. As for the epiphany and the reason the players kind of looked at him sideways, it it hit me about maybe six months or so after Arnold died, um, and I was really fortunate to spend some some good quality time with Arnold, even at his age compared with, with my relative late entry into, into golf, um, some magnificent times with him in his office and watching him deal with people. People always, I thought, looked at Tiger and, and, and Phil as kind of the Arnie Jack of their era. Tiger was, was Jack. He was the relentless champion. Phil was Arnold. He was the man of the people. And I thought that could not have been further from the truth because Arnold spent every day of his life making you feel like the most important person in the room. And Phil spent every day making sure you knew that he was Phil Mickelson and you weren't. 
<laughs> and I think, um, I know that sounds a little bit harsh, but I think that's no, that's a great point. Yeah, players didn't, you know, didn't really embrace Phil the way a lot of the public did. That's a great, great uh, analysis. I can totally see that. Um, so he's going along, you know, the bridesmaid, the six U.S. Open runner-ups, you know, Wingfoot, I'll never forget. Um, and, you know, to your point, I mean, he had, I think, won the 2005 PGA back when it was the last major at Baltimore, won the 2006 Masters. So you're thinking, could we have a Tiger Slam? Exactly. Right, you know, to four in a row, and, and that was just unbelievable. Um, as poor as he played that week, I mean, he was getting up and down from everywhere, and he had his chance. Anyways, goes through his career, wins the, um, you know, at the, up until Kiowa five majors, and you know, he's over fifty, he's fit, you know, he's avoided the injuries um, and everything, and uh, you know, where I'm going with this is just, he just was on such an incredible high when he accomplishes just the unbelievable winning at Kiowa. I mean, I would have, yeah. when they teed off that last round, I would have bet any amount of money Kepka's going to win, particularly after the first hole where there's a two shot swing, but you know, Phil knocks in the bunker shot, whatever gets through wins it, you know, the crowd, um, uh, it just, it was like out of the British open where they let the ropes go, you know, and the crowd on the 18th hole, incredible, right? Incredible. So we're, this is May, 2021. And in less than a year, um, he goes from, you know, the highest of highs to just being an absolute pariah, with, you know, his comments on uh, the Saudis and Liv and Jay Moynihan that, you know, Alan Shipnuck reported before this book came out. And um, it's just, and now he's almost like, beyond just being at Liv, he's almost become, dare I say, kind of a clownish figure, the way he's sort of doing. I mean, it just, what do you sort of make at that? I mean, you've, you've watched all that like I have. I mean, I just... Um, I mean, I'm just kind of stunned at it. I mean, you know, is it maybe it's not surprising for people who knew him, but um, I've just it's it's hard for me to sort of I guess what I'm trying to say not too well here is that it's hard for me to see if someone who has fallen so far by their own doing, you know, not because right. of injury, not because of some extraneous vent, just blowing themselves up like him. I mean, is that what do you think? I've never really considered this until just now, Larry, but I, I, I always would have figured that the single greatest fall in golf, if if not all of sport, was Tiger. When you think about right. it. Right, right, for sure. Right. 2009, the fire hydrant, yeah. the cocktail waitress, all, you know, right. all, all of it. It right. is it is shocking. Yeah. And, well, I mean, what a tremendous fall, because Tiger's on another level to begin with anyway. For sure. But I'm for not sure. so sure Phil doesn't, uh, maybe maybe he's another bridesmaid here, <laughs> maybe he comes in second, but <laughs> it's pretty equal to it. Because when you when you frame it that way, and you you think about a guy who was who was very lovable by the public, right. and you know, can't win the U.S. Open, and now look, first guy to ever win it at age 50, and the PGA right. is unbelievable, and uh, everybody hates him, and, and hates him because of the... Um, you know, because of the way he went out and and recruited basically for Saudi Arabia and was doing things behind. He was everything. right. He was instrumental. Just just to keep one to, for people who aren't familiar. I mean, he was uh, instrumental, right? I mean, he's sitting oh, there yeah. getting the lawyers involved, the LLC agreements. I mean, it wasn't just like you know, as opposed to I don't know. Let's take Dustin Johnson yeah, or Dustin Brooks Kepka, who you know just you know look, it's hundreds of millions of dollars. I'm going to take it, whatever. I mean, Phil was 
instrumental in this. Yeah, and, and work on both sides of it too. That's the work thing. on both sides thing. of it, right? When Alan's thing first came out, uh, you know, the, the, the scary MFers and all that. Right, all right. That and, uh, I want leverage and this, that, and the other. There's a one point where he says, look, I don't care if this thing succeeds or not. I just hope it gives us leverage. So on the one point, he's trying to bury the tour and he's also dissing the Saudis. He's like right. working both sides of the fence. Right. I think people saw through that as well. I would have seen through that uh, not ahead of time, but it's it's one of those that when it when it happens, you look back and say, oh, yeah, you could see that coming. Um, I'm, I mean, Phil was always um, in charge and he was always smarter than everybody else. And he always knew how things should be run. And I think he was always offended when no one listened to him because they didn't appreciate his intelligence. So I would go back to Firestone 2003 the old yeah. World Series of Golf or whatever it was called at the time. Right. I uh, happened to be with Phil when he finished. It was a pretty ordinary finish, but he was he was bothered. This again, this is 03, which hadn't been a great year for Phil. Right. And um, he was complaining about something. I don't remember the topic, but but uh, how how Fincham, Tim Fincham wouldn't listen to him and, and they, they're not doing what they should be doing. And he ended it by saying, I've now taken 22 suggestions to the tour and they haven't followed through on any of them. And I remember that, Larry, because I almost said, does that make you uh, the guy who's never, you know, the, the the best player to have never gotten an idea past Tim Fincham? But I thought it was a little <laughs> fresh. Oh, that, <laughs> so that was before the Masters. Yeah, that exactly. Awesome. Yeah, let's not go there right now. <laughs> um, but that was kind of his his line of thinking. And he, even if you go back and look at his comments at, uh, I think it was at Torrey Pines when they first started to introduce the FedEx Cup. Right. And uh, the FedEx Cup even even brought up Greg Norman at that point, having a lot of uh, um, uh, you know regard for for Norman and the way he thinks and this that and the other. But but the bottom line was that Phil always thought he knew more than everybody else, and I think he is you know uh, he he does know a lot. I don't want to I don't want to take away from his intelligence, but you know to give him the keys to the car, I'm not sure it's coming back in one piece. It, it might be an exciting ride, but. Uh, uh, he knows a lot. I'm not sure he knows as much as as he thinks he does. There was one story, by the way, I actually confirmed this with Fincham. Yeah. President's Cup last year at Quail Hollow. Because there's a story I'd heard that feels like rookie year. Uh, he didn't like what the tour was doing with its uh, deferred compensation plan. And and how dare you take you know this kind of money from us and be, we should be doing it ourselves. And you're doing it all wrong. And about five or six years later, when Phil saw how much money that was working for him, he went back to Fincham and said, you know, you were right. <laughs> this plan is actually working okay. But it was just an example of just, you know, I can't tell you how many conversations, not just me, but a couple of us have had with Phil. Uh, when he explains to you how to solve the uh, Social Security problems, um, uh, ethanol being the solution to the gas problems. I mean, he yeah. could go on and on, on on just about any topic. He is he is amazing. And and I, you know, I'm gonna remember your your point about him and Arnold, um, because is so great because that is that is it to a T. I mean, Arnold always exactly you said it so well, you know, make everyone else feel like they're the most important person. And with Phil, it's like you need to recognize that he's the smartest guy in the room. And um, yeah, you're that's really well said. Do you sort of see him um ever getting back in the good graces of the game? I mean, you know, we all sort of feel like if this hadn't happened, you know, what's the rest of his career look like? Certainly going to be a Ryder Cup captain. Certainly at some point we would envision him and Tiger, you know, into the future being the honorary starters at Augusta. And, you know, just, you know, but now, I mean, 
it's kind of hard to see where he goes, right? Yeah, I, it, it strikes me. And Fred Ridley from Augusta did this again over the weekend at the Asia Pacific. But when he talks about the Masters and he talks about the legends of the game who've contributed uh, to where we are now, and Mickelson's never a part of that. He, he might leaves been. it out, right? That's yes. not that's there's not Hogan. a random event. Right? Well, yeah, there's Hogan and there's Jack and there's Snead and there's Arnold and there's Tiger. Uh, he might have thrown Crenshaw in there one time. I don't know if he never mentions Phil. I remember writing, though, right when this stuff was, was coming out in 22, uh, around Riviera time. Yeah, that's uh, when it the happened. One thing, the one thing Tiger had going for him was time. So that was pretty shocking. All this all this stuff with his, you know, serial adultery and, right. and all that stuff. That was just utterly shocking. Tiger at the time. Oh, Larry, I'm having to do math again at the top of my head. <laughs> I was probably 34, 35 years old, roughly. Right, right. Um, so he's right. He's 96. Right. So he was 32 when he won a Tory. Right. 32, 33. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And so he's still got, I mean, it, and it did take him a while through, you know, getting right. past the personal side and some injuries and right to get back a couple times. Phil was, Phil was 51 and Champions Tour is not going to cut it. You know, no one's really right. going to pay attention to you out there. Right. And, and we can forget, we are a forgiving society, um, you know, in the sports in particular. We just, we just want to see Babe Ruth play, right? I mean, that's, that's right. the thinking. Um but but you're not going to be performing at that age. You're not going to be performing that much. Now that you've gone to live, they're hardly going to see you at all. Right. And you just don't have time on your side to recover. I'm not that's saying right. it can't. I'm just thinking it's an up really. Yeah, that's that's a great point. Yeah, he doesn't have the at-bats that Tiger had. Um, and the other thing, just mentioning both of them is, you know, I, yeah, Tiger was certainly, you know, was just, he was so awesome. Um, but he kind of, to me, and maybe some of this is him changing a little bit too as he's gotten older, but he he seems more beloved now in a way, at least I don't remember him being, you know, and he was such a, and I mean this in a positive way, he was such an assassin on the golf course. Um, and, you know, he was always sort of like, you know, if, if I can beat you by 10 rather than five, I'll beat you by 10. And, and you know, I still remember Stephen Ames, 10 and eight, and that press conference, I'm sure you remember. But, and, and, but you know, he's, you know, he got past the, you know, the, the, the affairs and everything. And it was, I did feel bad when it was played out on such a public stage, given who he was. But anyways, he got past that and has the injuries and, 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 you know, and, and the younger, the Justin Thomases and everything, you know, that's who they looked up to. So he's got this younger crew that comes on that just, you know, he's beloved in that crew. And he just, he seems to have softened a little bit and, but he's become more beloved. Do you see it the same oh, way? Completely. That's a, Completely. You mentioned Doral earlier, Larry, and that's a good yeah. point. And, and it is because during the peak of both of them, when you look at Tiger and Phil, that was always to me a very defining moment. When you listen to that gallery, in Miami, you could tell that Ty, that, that Phil, uh, they adored. Tiger, they were in awe of. That was kind yeah. of the difference between a, a Tiger right. and, and a Phil crowd, whichever side you took. Um, I remember going to, I think it was 19, actually, the year he won the Masters. Uh, asked him in a press conference, got zero answer, because you never did from Tiger. <laughs> right, right. All these years, you've been you've been held in awe um, and, and held in great respect and all that stuff. What is it like now to actually be loved? Because that's what he was. That's what he was getting, right? And and, and again, he didn't give uh, much of an answer, or, or he defaulted to, to something else. But it's, but it's true. And and a lot of that has to do um, with Ricky Fowler. He'd be a, a huge part of it. Uh, Justin Thomas, as you as you mentioned, both of them living in 
in South Florida, and and he was probably down in his dumps from from injury, from you know addiction to painkillers and, right. and a arrest, which was kind of weird to begin with. And they propped him up. I mean, they were uh, Ricky and Justin in, in particular, and then and then more kind of came around behind him. Um, Zach Johnson was another one. They they all lifted him up, and for the first time in his career, he wasn't the guy who was breaking their neck. Um, he was the one that that was sitting on their shoulders, walking off the field at halftime. Right. Um, and it right. was, I think it was inspiring for him. And I think he really, I think he really, really enjoyed that. I think that's why he really started to enjoy, you know, being around the President's Cup and the and the Ryder Cup, whether it was at Hazeltine or Liberty National, all these different places, because, you know, he's with the boys and he never really, never really had the boys before. So you know, right. we were asking Stricker years ago, no, well, not that long, but um, they were talking about what's, you know, what's Tiger like out to dinner? Stricker's, I had never been to dinner with him. So he he really liked Steve. Everyone likes Steve. Yeah, yeah. He's the best, but but he never really hung out with him. Phil, right. that's another story, obviously not. Right, but right. Tiger never really hung with anybody. Tiger had his little camp, um, his, his own very tight circle of trust, and and that was it. Um, yeah. and, that's, and that's changed now. He's got people have his phone number. No right. Ever that never had Tiger's phone number. That, that never was the case before. Right. Right. No, that's and, and it, it it really it's and it's so and and so as I step back and look at it, I mean it's a little too facile to say they've changed places, but I mean they kind of have in a certain way. Bit. I mean Phil was sort of the people's champion. I mean your point about the Doral galleries, and now Phil's this pariah and Tiger, you know, is, is beloved in a way. You know, when he was at his zenith, always in awe and respect, but not beloved. So it's kind of weird, right? <laughs> the other thing too on Tiger, and and uh, I don't think we're gonna. S- we're not going to see him hardly at all. Uh, I was just talking to someone yesterday who, who happened to hit balls next to the tiger on the range the other day. And he said, you're out of your mind. If you think he can walk 18 holes and play yeah, um, just based on where he is now. And that's just, that's just agent injuries. And I, and I get that um, the longer tiger stayed away, the bigger he got. Right. Because all you had were videos and, and YouTube. Right. It was right. pretty incredible. By the way, I always think back to Carnoustie when he had a, he got he tied for the lead. He may have taken the lead briefly on Sunday, and then he made a double and dropped another shot. And Francesco goes on to win, what have you? But Tiger's name in the press room. We've got this this enormous you know scoreboard, old style. You know where they put the numbers. Right, 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 right. There was Tiger at the top. You know he was leading, and there were people in there. There were journalists in there uh, taking pictures of the leaderboard. I'm not. Ta- I'm not talking about the the young kids. Okay, I'm talking about. 70-year-old guys had written for the evening standard for their entire life. You know, and they, they're all sitting there taking a picture. And I think it hit wow. me that the that the younger ones had only seen this on, on YouTube, had right. only seen videos of this. And the older group thought there's no way they'd ever see it again. And and here it was happening, and it was really hard to believe. And I didn't win that one, but but you know, that was the precursor to to winning the masters, East, right? Used to and East Lee Lake Masters, and masters yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but it was, yeah, that's, and it's probably why, Larry, you you never, even now with probably more hardware in his legs than he's got on his mantle, um, you just don't, I don't anyway, you just don't rule him out. I, I do, will he win again? Seriously doubt it. Would I ever say that publicly? Absolutely not. Because you just, you just don't know, man. You don't know. And he's just, he's just delivered so much. So much magic over the years, so many wild shots, so many unbelievable comebacks. Um, you just can't say no. I, I think that's what keeps people watching, although it does 
kill me when he, you know, when he shows up at the Masters or he shows up at the PGA and and it was like, oh, this is the week. And you can tell right away it's it's probably not, but there is just so much anticipation around them. Oh uh, yeah. They want to see. Yeah, no, that's well said. I agree. Um it's been quite a ride to see them both. Let me um, sort of, as we get towards the end, throw a couple of not small topics at you beyond just the personalities, but the issues in the game. And, and uh, you know, we've kind of danced a little bit around Liv as we talked about Phil, but um, kind of address where we are with Liv. And maybe let me kind of tee it up uh, this way. I mean, you know, it, it's everyone was sort of stunned. Um, I certainly was, you know, June 6th when the framework agreement comes out. Um, it got poorly described as a merger, which it never was, um, you know, was sort of, you know, putting a new co on top of the PGA Tour and having the PIF invest in it. But if you read that agreement, you know, other than just the only thing that they agreed to really is to get rid of the litigation. Um, that's it. Um, and we, you know, and I, I, you know, I'm sure his excellency after he lost all of his sovereign immunity arguments, didn't want to be deposed. And it was a gigantic financial drain for the tour. So couldn't easily see why the two of them would agree to that. Beyond that, it's kind of like a term sheet, a, a, an aspirational term sheet, I would put it that way. And here we are now, um, almost November 6th. So we're almost five months past it. It's got a year-end deadline, um, but um, they could always extend it. Uh, but but I, I'm just sort of curious. And the other thing I guess I'd throw on the table is Liv doesn't seem to have gotten a lot of traction. You alluded to when you were saying people aren't going to be watching Phil. I mean, I, I will admit I haven't tuned into it at all, but, uh, you know, not once. I, 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 not once. I, I should do it just for once because I've heard all the criticisms of it and um, I really haven't. Um, I did see the video of, of Sergio going to apparently relieve himself, you know, um, uh, at, at whatever tournament they had in Phoenix and they sort of had that was a funny video that I only saw that because that got went viral. So that, so I guess I've seen that piece of a telecast, but I haven't watched it at all. Um, and, um, but I'm just sort of curious, we sit here, where do you sort of see this going? I mean, the tour's obviously done a lot of responses. They've eliminated the wraparound, which I think is fantastic. I hated the wraparound. Um, and you know, they've done the elevated events, um, you know, but, you know, we just saw, you know, bring this up to date, Endeavor, Aria Manuel's outfit, you know, allegedly, you know, was going to invest. They got turned down. As we sit here in early November, November 1st, I guess, um, of 2023, where do you sort of see this going? Nowhere quickly, although I, I don't I don't rule it out by the end of the year. I heard a, uh, I was talking to someone yesterday who who was sharing stories of of uh, back when they were trying to get to the to the original framework agreement uh, 14 15 times where the deal was thought to be dead and then they made a phone call someone says one thing and then it's back to life again and i'm i'm in brooks kepka mode larry just let me know how this thing ends uh, it's it's really getting wearisome just to listen to the blow by blows yeah there's there's new uh you know private equity people who are involved that could be dangerous on its own level yeah for sure. We'll see where it goes. Do you you nailed it though? To me, I mean, just just the fact that the the lawsuits have gone away. Uh, I thought the one curious thing when the DOJ stepped in and told him to take out about that that bit about uh, you know no more poaching, right? Uh, man, I trust things. That kind of leaves things in play. Um, I don't know. There were some early stories 
written and thoughts about that based on the on the framework agreement that basically said if Jay Monahan is basically in charge of the future of live then that's the end of that's the end of live that's that's not the case although I think from what I've been told of, of all the stuff going out there about who wants to invest and who doesn't and sticking points the biggest one uh there's two of them one is what we're going to do with with team golf I mean that was part of the Right for Jay was to was to look and 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 what do we do with with team golf and the other one was basically what kind of punishment uh, or penalty is a would a player face to come back to one of the tours and that is a big one because if you take uh, the, the the nice guys in the bunch and by nice guys I would talk about Dustin Johnson Dustin Johnson sure frankly yeah. frankly Brooks Kepka yeah yeah the ones who just don't make a stink and, and basically say yeah, I took it for the money uh, and not, and not the 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 ones who have just been. Uh, mouthing off for the whole time, whether that's Phil, whether that's Bryce and whatever. Either way, these guys cashed in on a lot of money and these guys stayed loyal and you want to come back and you've got to find a penalty. And I think that is the biggest obstacle at the moment. To your point, though, um, where does Liv go? I remember writing, a, it was very funny, actually. I wrote a piece in June, um, which I was complimented on it by Liv. And I think they missed the the kind of the point to it too. And I said, Liv isn't going anywhere. My point is, that's right. They're not going anywhere. I mean, it's just it's just not advancing anyway. <laughs> that was kind of the point. Though. It's true. They're not going anywhere. They show up and they play and they, you know, they start on whatever hole and they pop champagne and the the announcers are just atrocious and they talk about right. oh. like yeah. they invented golf and that people can see right through it. Um, I you know I I expect them to play another schedule. You do full yeah. schedule next year. Who signs up? I'm I'm sure. I you think, think they'll get more players? You think they'll? I do, be- but I don't think it's going to be anybody big because the, the big ones still have um, great esteem by being on the tour. And, you know, and so, have, there's been rumors the about Rom. Just interject. I mean, that, that's the only name I've seen. Do you think that's a? I mean, Brandel Chambly has been the one. I don't, why, I don't know why Brandel threw that out there. I was trying to figure out where that might have come from, and I and I think it's from a a rumor, which God knows where they come from or what they mean, but. Um, you know, that they're getting ready to either, you know, double or triple the offer. So you're looking at uh, an outrageous sum or somebody saying to John, what would it take? And he threw a stupid number out there and they said, no, that's too stupid. And maybe you spend it from there. And the other side of it is just his his um, uh, sympathy he's felt toward Sergio and anyone else who, who he thinks should be playing in the Ryder Cup, regardless of politics. And I think they they take that as being as a guy who's, who's sympathetic toward their tour. I don't see it. I think John has been... He's one of the early guys. He was probably right in there with the with the Rory Brooks and John, guys who did not like the concept from the get go, no matter what shape it took. Uh, and and he'd be, I don't I don't think he's got a lot of pride to him and a lot of honesty. And I, I don't think he'd like to be considered two faced. That would shock me. There's still a couple guys. Um, I talked to Patrick Cantlay just point yeah. blank last summer. He's another one. Yeah, and he never he he, he you know without so much saying so. It never crossed his mind once to go. He likes to he likes to play it. Uh, he likes to play both sides. He likes to explore things. He's he's a. Uh, I think he gets under people's skin, especially the guys he's with in a in a meeting, <laughs> his, his fellow peers or whatnot. Yeah. I think the guy is remarkable at being able to take bias out of everything and study it for face value. That's a hard thing to do. Yeah, it you is eliminate all your prejudice and. And all your bias, and he looks at every single, whether it's a business deal or anything else, both sides of it. And you know, I don't, I don't see, I don't see him going. Um, but these guys all have 
11, 12, 13, $20 million uh, tournaments to play for. There's no reason to go over there because you're plus you're, you're, you know, you're stuck playing a 14 tournament schedule and you're going to be traveling a lot, whether it's right. Jetta, whether it's Hong Kong, you know, Australia. Um, that's one of the great perks of the PGA Tour is it's a very easy travel schedule. I don't think it gets enough credit. Right. Um, so play on and nobody's paying attention. Um, and, and how long do you keep going? And I think that since I, I clearly don't have an answer for you, Larry, <laughs> that would be close. <laughs> Is where do we go from here? I would tell you that I I have watched it. I I have to watch it because I have to write. Right. Well, you have to write about it. Yeah. Two hundred eighty word stories, and I I can hardly do it. I mean, it is it it means nothing. At the end of the day, somebody shot that. Somebody shot that, and it's the same guys over and over again. And it's just not it's just not very interesting. What I found interesting was the last one. Um, Tremendous format. I thought it was great. I thought it was kind of entertaining, actually. It was interesting, yeah. And I got to think the only way they could they could survive is if they completely ditch the individual play. Right, and do team. And do nothing right. but team. If they want the people to pay attention to the team, they have to get rid of the individual. But I don't see them ever getting rid of the individual. Yeah. Uh, disruptor, there's, there's, there's no question. I think the tour, um, have they overreacted? Maybe. Now they got to find a way to, to basically fund all this, all this big money purses. Because frankly... Um, and I think I said this at some point early. I just don't think these guys are worth it. Well, it's, um, you, you kind of, the, yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I, and that's actually what I was going to ask you about in terms of the tour's response. I mean, the way it seemed to me, there were two huge drains. One was litigation. They've gotten rid of that. The other one is these <laughs> elevated events. And so um, these are big numbers. Um, and so I'm, I wanted to get your take on kind of what you think generally how the tours responded, having these elevated events, not just with big purses, but the limited fields. And now, other than, I guess, you know, uh, Tigers, uh, Riviera Memorial and 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 um, uh, Bay Hill will have no cuts, too. I mean, how do you sort of view how uh, the tours responded, both from, is this a better product, but also is it sustainable? Because it's a lot of money. I think, yeah, well, that's where the, that's where the, the money comes from. And that's what, that's what they're going to need to sustain it long-term. Um, I actually think they've done a really good job. Um, and I'll tell you why. I think people have, have, have said that some of the, some of the dead weight, some of the traditional, you know, 80 to 125 on the money list, uh, they're fun stories to write every now and then when they come out of nowhere, but mostly you love the big guns and the big names going at it more and more often. And you've done that, but we're, I think the tour succeeded. Um, was the the access for everybody else for anybody else is still there right. not going to be easy um jt post and i always remember him talking to him in, in hawaii at the start of the year i'll paraphrase but he basically said as long as i have a tea time i have a chance give me a tea time let me play my way in and you can do that you can do that through i gotta think there's somewhere between like seven to twelve players each of those right. big events that can play their way in right they got to do is shoot a really good score and beat the next guy or finish here and you can do it. So I think that right. part's good. the cut part was disappointing. Uh, yeah, me Tiger, too. Tiger Jackson and Bay Hill uh, still going to have a cut. Um, the, the rest of them not. Uh, I, I see, I've heard both sides of the story, but there's, you know, there's something about a tradition of having to earn your way to the weekend, which is, which is always good. And then we'll see how the, how the rest of it goes. To me, the hard part is going to be the, the, the title sponsors of all the other tournaments being a, a B-level tournament, um, 
getting future stars, getting a few guys who who might want to play just to just because they like it, how much they can continue to pay that kind of money to get nothing of a field. That to me is going to be the measure over the next two years. I don't mind the size of the purse. When I say these guys aren't worth it, I, I should clarify when they were when the Saudis were given Brooks a reported 150 or 125 or whatever it was. Sorry, I just I, you yeah, know I, yeah. I don't see that if you, these guys look around at the at the TV ratings or the size of their galleries or the fact a lot of them can walk through an airport and nobody will turn their head. Right. I don't know about that. Of course, I don't know about half the baseball salaries either. So <laughs> I guess if someone's willing to pay it, so be it. Yeah, that that's fair. Um, yeah, I agree. I, I, I just the only other thing, thing is the no cut thing was disappointing, and I didn't understand the logic because. The Masters doesn't have a big field. They cut after 30. So I didn't understand why if I have an 80 or 70, 80 person field, as opposed to whatever the normal 120, 140, I still can't have a cut. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I, that's the one thing. I agree with you, Jenna. I think, you know, coming out of that Delaware meeting, um, it's funny when you mentioned Ricky and Tiger, where Tiger picked up Ricky, included yeah. him. That, that, that sort of resonates now with what you were saying. And, you know, and they meet there and they said, we need to be together at more tournaments, which kind of led to this. And and I all think that's all good. It's a, I'm excited. I'm glad Pebble got it next year. I'm excited to see that field at Pebble. Riviera's around the corner from me. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's great. But um, I just, my only thing is I wish they still had a cut, but... I always think about John Daly, by the way. This was still one of the funnier moments when they came up with that 54-hole cut if the if the cut was more than oh know, right. 78 the players, players right. are going to have a 54 Secondary cut. cut, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And John was furious. He missed out. We were at the Sony Open. He said, you know, I got a, got a family that flew all the way from Australia to come watch me and they couldn't get out there till Saturday. And now I'm not going to be there. And I'm thinking to myself, anybody who's a fan of John Daly and waits till Saturday, isn't paying attention. I'm not even sure I'd wait till Friday half the time. So <laughs> that's, <laughs> that, that's awesome. That's I love a petition they put in the locker room, you know, do you agree with this, this new cut policy? And uh, I think I, I think I, ended up writing that it was a unanimous vote against it. There was five who voted against it and, and 139 who abstained. Most of these guys don't care. They right. don't, they're in the business of running the tour. Uh, it's kind of funny during some of the stuff that that the shock of, of the announcement and how secretive Jay kept it, how outraged they are. These guys don't care about They don't care about running a tour. They want to know when their tea time is and and how they enter and and that's it. But now that... Now that they, I think they had um, someone working behind their back, all of a sudden they're up in arms about it. Some of them care. Most of them don't. You think Jay's job is secure going forward? Or what do you think about that? Now, as long as you mentioned him, I'm just curious. I don't know. Um, you know, it was interesting to see him in Memphis, um, which is the first time I saw him, I guess, when he came back from the break. And to me, right. the key was going to be to see how the players reacted to him. Responded yeah. to him. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think I think a lot of it's going to hinge uh, on this on this deal. It's tough. I, I always try to put myself in the other guy's shoes. Uh, how would you have handled this? Uh, would you would you have invited a lot of it's hindsight too, by the way, which is the way all of any any press covering anything is the way they they operate. They operate out of right. results. But, you know, would you have met with them two years ago? Um, should you have met with them at the start? You know, to me when they pick Greg Norman as their guy. That's a red flag that they are right. coming after. So um 
I don't know. I mean, I think the only mistake he made or the people around him made was, was bringing a nine 11 um, yeah. into yeah. this. Boy. Yeah. Um, we'll see. That's a, that's a t- tough question. I would have thought he was heavily on the ropes. Um, it just depends on, on, on who he's got. I mean, he's, he's got a corner uh, or a circle of, I think advisors. And um, I think as long as he has their support, he should be okay. Got it. Well, listen, I know you got to run. I could talk to you all day about all this stuff. This has been great. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, Doug and I first met each other 20 plus years ago when he was out here covering the LA Open at Riviera and came over to Brentwood with Clifton Brown, who was the New York Times golf writer and now I think is doing stuff for the Ravens um, in Baltimore. And um, and I, uh, I was always amazed, I will just leave you with this, that when I saw you a few years ago at Riviera. I think we were on the fourth tee there, the, the great par three, and you remembered it all, which was, oh, yeah. I, I was, I loved. So I really appreciate it. <laughs> played a lot of golf, you know, I, I would say it t- not compared with a lot of my, my colleagues, but a, a fair bit of golf. And that is one round. I will, I will always remember. That was a lot of, was it Marty? Uh, it was, oh, it was, it was Joel, Joel Crusher. Yeah, Joel, I'm sorry. Right, exactly. It was Joel, you, me, and Clifton. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. I, I still remember it. And it's a lot, it's at least 20 years ago, but uh, yeah. it was, it was a lot of fun. Doug, I know you got to run. Thank you so much for making the time. This was awesome. And um, uh, you know what, if, when you're out here again, you have my contact information, we can, you know, tee it up again in Brentwood if you have the time. So we'd love to see if you're out here again for, uh, for the LA Open. But thanks again for making the time. I appreciate it. Okay. Thanks, Larry. Enjoyed it.